Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious dialogue starts right here and right now. And I welcome you to my kitchen. This is a place for people who love to eat. And recipes and tips for marvelous meals are shared every Sunday on this show. This hour, you'll gain ideas on how to eat well and live well. I'm sharing my favorite cutting-edge recipes, wines, foods, restaurants, and kitchen gadgets every Sunday. And we're joined by distinguished chefs and authors and artisans who share their knowledge as well. And I'm always dishing, so you'll find continued inspiration at ChefJamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ChefJamieGwen. We're going way beyond mere eating and drinking today. We're on a mission to find the most exciting places and new experiences and emerging trends so you can sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate just by staying tuned. Coming up in just a little bit, if you are caught up in the worldwide wave of yogurt culture, well, then you'll want to tune in. We are dishing on the beauty of Greek yogurt and beyond with Cheryl Sternman Rule. Also, we're taking a tour of the Slow Farmer's Market, the award-winning San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market for that last glimpse of seasonal summer freshness. And we will scoop our last summer ice cream cone. Jenny Britton Bauer is here of Jenny's Ice Cream, and she's sharing her best flavor combinations. But first, I think we should talk pie. Don't you think? In fact, I think we should say pie because pie is a love language. Making a luscious pie with a flaky crust and a beautiful fruit filling is a feat even for most great cooks. And at the end of the summer, I always think of using up the season's bounty, peaches or blueberries or blackberries. And why not make a summer peach pie? to try to make summer last forever. Pie is not just for the holiday season. I think it's time to brush up on your pie skills now. Master that fruit pie before Labor Day weekend comes around and fall sets in. And hopefully you'll gain a few chef's tips for making the perfect pie come the holiday season. Making pie crust, in my humble chef's opinion, can make you feel like a magician. Because combining flour and water and butter with a little bit of sugar and a pinch of salt in the proper proportions results in the most tender, flaky, beautiful pastry that elevates just about any filling. And there are lots of tricks, of course, but to me, I'm all about the method. And you can really narrow down the method to a science. Now, mind you, This should not at all be intimidating because I make my pie crust in the food processor and you should too. But when it comes to making pastry, let me share with you how really easy it is. It is impossible to go wrong with pecan pie, right? I mean, one that's loaded with nuts and a little zest of orange or the beauty, as I mentioned, of a summer peach pie. So sweet and so delicious. 
And when I was a student at the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, a lot of years ago, I learned a foolproof pie crust formula called 321 pie dough. It's three parts flour, two parts fat, I use butter, and one part liquid. And it's really as simple as that. But successful baking is definitely about precision. So you want to measure accurately, and then you want to consider the technique. The biggest mistake when making pie dough is overworking the dough. Less is more. You only want to handle it enough to form it into a ball. By the way, kneading is for bread, not for pie crust. It's supposed to look like, when you make pie dough, that it's barely holding together. So here are my best tips. The butter when making pie dough should be firm and cold and cut into small pieces because when the steam from the water that evaporates in the butter bakes in your pie crust, you get extra flakiness. That's really how a good pie crust develops its rich, wonderful, delicate texture and flavor. So I freeze my butter for at least a half an hour before I begin. Then when it comes to the liquid, I use ice water to mix the dough because a colder temperature minimizes the gluten development. And if you have too much gluten, that's when you get a chewy crust. And then you always want to let the dough rest in the fridge after you mix it. Do not roll and shape the pie immediately because cold dough is so much easier to handle. And when you roll it out, you want to try to handle it as little as possible. If you find the dough is getting too warm, you just take it back to the refrigerator for 10 minutes or so and you pour yourself a glass of wine or you make some tea. Now, for an extra crispy pie crust, a pastry chef friend once taught me that you brush the unbaked top crust area with water and you sprinkle it with sugar and you really get a, a really wonderful texture. For a shiny pie crust, You brush the unbaked top area of crust with an egg wash, preferably one made with egg and cream whisked together. And then you can always do the fancy stuff like uh, cutting, you know, beautiful leaves from the leftover pie dough to garnish or adorn the top of the pie. You can cut decorative vents in the top, which you always want to do to allow steam to escape and to prevent the peach juices from overflowing. But it is really super simple to master. I guarantee it. So you combine the flour, sugar, and salt in the food processor. You add in the butter, or if you choose shortening, because your grandmother made it that way, and you pulse just until it resembles coarse crumbs. And then you add in enough water by the tablespoon, ice water once again, until the dough holds together. And then you gather the dough up into a ball, and you flatten it into a disc as best you can, and you refrigerate. Once again, cold is the key to great pie dough. So now all you need is to go to chefjamie.com and pull my recipe, or steal it for that matter, for my foolproof pie dough. Go to the farmer's market and gather up some really beautiful, aromatic, sweet, luscious peaches and celebrate the end of the summer season with the ultimate pie. Then send me a picture at chefjamie.com because I want to hear and see all about it and know that you will have a leg up on making pie this holiday season. And so I hope that that makes you a culinary hero. It's never too early or too late to master pie. 
Okay, it's time for a little bit of food news. This is news you can use, as I like to call it. I have two new discoveries I found this past week. You've had a a thin cookie, right? In fact, many of the brands have come out with them. Well, Chips Ahoy is joining the ranks. Thintroducing the new thin-mazing, thin-credible Chips Ahoy Thins. They didn't create just a thin cookie, Chips Ahoy. They created a thin and crispy cookie, and I got a sneak taste, a sneak bite, a sneak preview of the Chips Ahoy Thins, and I have to tell you, they are really delicious. They're sort of like a grown-up treat with less guilt because the thin cookie doesn't feel like you ate a whole cookie, really. And they're debuting in two new flavors, original and cinnamon sugar. And you will find them on grocery store shelves nationwide. Chips Ahoy Thins are out now and they are given Oreo Thins a run for their money. And then with football season quickly approaching... I found a new board and knife set that I thought was super cool and one that you could probably plan for the greatest holiday gift for the food lover in your life, whether it's pampering the picnicker or raising the bar for the cocktail aficionado or wowing a host or hostess or even scoring big, as I said, with the tailgater in your life. There is a new compact, convenient cutting board from R. Murphy Knives that includes a knife. It fits snugly and safely right into the side of the wooden plank. And it really offers you this beautiful, versatile cutting board that you can take everywhere. And I thought it was just so cool, I had to share. So you can check it out on Murphy, R. Murphy Knives, rather, dot com. And do not touch your dial because I am delivering the world of food directly to your radio. Award-winning author Cheryl Sternman Rule is coming up next, and we are dishing on the yogurt craze. Stay tuned. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Cheryl Sternman Rule is an award-winning writer and cookbook author and the founder of Team Yogurt. You see, she's a yogurt aficionado. She loves good yogurt and we know she's not alone. Cheryl is your trusted resource rich hub on all things yogurt and she is here to dish. Her new cookbook release is called Yogurt Culture, a beautiful, bountiful resource on how to make and bake and sip and chill the world's creamiest and healthiest food. And I am so glad to welcome you. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Jamie. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. I love the book. Oh, good. I love it, too. You're good. And you should be very proud of it. Thank you. Okay. Could you, from a a scientific standpoint, a food chemistry perspective, tell us what yogurt is actually? Sure. So yogurt belongs to this bigger class of fermented foods. In this case, obviously, it's a fermented dairy product. And specifically, it's milk that has been cultured with bacteria. Hmm. Those bacteria differ depending on where you are in the world. But here in the United States, 
yogurt companies tend to use two different bacterial strains, one of which is called Streptococcus thermophilus, and the other one is called Lactobacillus bulgaricus. So you're likely to see those two strains listed on a yogurt cup, though there may be additional strains or alternate strains as well. Okay, and they're both good for you because we know we hear so much about the health benefits of live active culture. Indeed. So these these are probiotics. They're examples of probiotic bacteria, which simply means that they confer a health benefit onto the host. And that host, of course, is us, the people who eat the yogurt. Right. And I know there's good yogurt out there because I buy store-bought Greek yogurt, but I'm very specific as to what I look for ingredient-wise. And there is a very beautiful benefit to making it yourself. So can you teach us first to simply make yogurt at home? Sure. So the only thing that's difficult about making yogurt is that it takes a little bit of time. Other than that, it really couldn't be easier. You're going to heat your milk to 180 degrees, which is just below a boil, and then you're going to cool that milk to 115 degrees. And the reason you heat it up so high and then proceed to cool it is that you want to denature the proteins in the milk before you introduce those live bacteria that I mentioned earlier. So step one, heat the milk. Step two is cool the milk to 115. At that point, you add your starter culture, which can be something as simple as a batch, a little bit of yogurt, a spoonful of yogurt from the store that you buy, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to keep that pot of warm milk and yogurt warm for several hours until the bacteria propagate and thicken that milk, drop its pH, and create what is familiar to us as yogurt. As yogurt. And if you were to strain it at that point, or what I learned to do with store-bought yogurt, over a mesh strainer lined in cheesecloth, and you let the liquid leave the viscous part. You get what I call yogurt cheese, which by the way, would have to be delectable if you were making your own yogurt to get that finished product. It's so creamy and yummy and delicious. It is. So that first level of straining that you described will create what we call Greek yogurt. Okay. If you strain it even further for a longer amount of time and add a little bit of salt to the yogurt, And then you're going to either hang it, which creates a gravitational pull, or compress it maybe with a little bit of a plate on top or a pot lid and a can on top of Mm -hmm. that, really forcing out all the way. At that point, after a day or two, you're going to have really what's yogurt cheese or labneh, which is how it's referred to in many Middle Eastern cultures. Yeah, and you teach us how to, to make it, how to use it. Uh, I love all the recipes in the book. In fact, there is a a labneh recipe that I came across, and I am searching every, oh, every rabbit ear I've marked in the book. Um, (laughs) You do it in in olive oil. So to serve it like on a cheese platter, right, preserved in olive oil along with crackers and some yummy fig jam. Mm. Labneh is very common there, and that's how they serve it. They scoop it into little balls, and they top the balls off with olive oil, and then you can actually, the olive oil acts as a preservative, and you can keep a jar of these little labneh spheres in olive oil in the refrigerator for several months. Mm, And then when you have somebody coming over, Mm. pull them out, let the olive oil sort of melt away, and then you could use a little bit of a sifter and sift some fresh spices or herbs, you know, paprika, saffron, something that's pretty on top, and you have beautiful, fresh, preserved Mm. cheese. Love it. See, now that, I like to say, makes you a culinary hero. 
when you can pull a lot more complicated than it is. When you can pull Labne out of your refrigerator. Now, okay, mind you, Cheryl, you are a a yogurt genius. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because the yogurt genius Cheryl Sternman rule is here. And we are dishing on, uh, no doubt, a yogurt revolution. I'm sure you make freshly made batches of yogurt at home. Um, but you two are a busy mom, a busy writer, a busy working woman. So you you must buy store-bought from time to time. Please say yes. That would make me feel so much better about myself. Especially when I was developing all the recipes for the book. I mean, there's 115 recipes in there. If I were to make enough yogurt to get me through the process <laughs> of developing and testing those recipes, I wouldn't have time to do anything else. So I do. The other thing is there's very good, high-quality store-bought yogurt available these days, much more so than there, than there was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the options now are greater um, really throughout the U.S. In, in bigger cities, you're going to find more variety. That shouldn't surprise anybody. But you can get a really nice, high-quality yogurt if you look for it. What do you look for specifically on the label? I'm always conscious of the fact that the yogurt that I buy should be as pure as possible, and then I add my own fruit or jam Absolutely. So that's one of the things, especially if you're going to take up savory yogurt as Mm -hmm. one of the options uh, and use the yogurt in recipes, you don't want a pre-sweetened product. If you're going to be tossing it in a lunchbox or in a gym bag and you don't have time to, you know, mix in the berries yourself or add a little honey packet, that's one thing. But if you're buying it for home, I always do encourage people to buy plain yogurt. Mm -hmm. And as you said, as pure as possible. So Mm -hmm. as with all foods that are already prepped for you in the supermarket, you're looking for the shortest ingredients list that you can. I'm a big fan of organic milk in my yogurt, and you can now even find grass-fed yogurt. So that's Hmm. yogurt that comes from cows that eat only grass rather than grains. So if you have access to that and you can afford it and it's important to you, that's another option that you might want to consider. Yeah, fabulous. I can't wait to experiment with them. I'm a great tzatziki fan. I love anything yogurt-based. I happen to love Greek yogurt, Cheryl. And I make a, a lemon olive oil pound cake with Greek yogurt. And I oh, found of course. baking with it is beautiful. I can't wait to make your roasted blueberry compote and the burnt sugar apple apricot halves to do and do it soon oh yeah exactly right because of the summer season ending quickly Um, and the cold yogurt soup with the cucumber and the herbs perfect for the end of summer heat and then before I let you go um, please share with us the mindset behind or the necessity for all of us to change our traditional marinara sauce over to your recipe. I loved (laughs) that you added yogurt to your red sauce. Well, I did. I added whole milk Greek yogurt. And part of the reason was I just don't stock cream in the refrigerator on a regular basis. I don't like to buy ultra-pasteurized dairy. Mm. And fresh cream just doesn't have a very long shelf life. But what does have a very long shelf life? whole milk yogurt, which is very high in fat. It's very rich. It's very thick, especially if it's Greek. Mm. And it tends to work beautifully to sort of make a marinara sauce creamy in the same way that heavy cream would, but it also gives it that little bit of an acidic edge, which makes the the flavor profile a little bit more interesting. I think that's so smart, and I can't wait to try it. It makes me think of the northern Italian-style meat sauce that has milk in it, and the Greek yogurt would only make it better. 
Indeed. It's oh. great. Cheryl, come back soon. Maybe at the holidays we can dish on what intriguing recipes you're adding Greek yogurt to around turkey time. Absolutely. I'll I'd be there. It. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Cheryl, so much. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. your fetish, then I can supply the tools. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Who doesn't love a community-driven cookbook that features simple seasonal recipes and short stories all highlighting the central coast of California? Well, Kendra Aronson, a local writer, photographer, and designer, is here to share her first recipe collection. It's entitled The San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market Cookbook, and it's a compilation of simple seasonal recipes and short stories all from the central coast that really highlights the beautiful profiles of farmers and food artisans and farm-to-table chefs. The recipes are organized by seasons, and in the spirit of creating a collaborative cookbook, the recipes are from food growers and crafters themselves, all showcasing the true taste of the Central Coast. And Kendra is here to dish. I'm very glad to have you, Kendra. Congratulations. The book is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I know that you love food. And that you um, certainly are an extraordinary food photographer. So from your mind's eye, because I think your eyes see differently than many of ours, give us a, a virtual tour of the, and you call it slow, San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market, please, if you would. Yes, yeah. So San Luis Obispo is located on the central coast of California. It's halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. It's a gem of a town, mm. and we actually have 20 weekly farmer's markets throughout the county. That's amazing. There's one. Yeah, it's awesome. We have one every single day, as many as five on Saturday, mm. and the big one that we're known for happens on Thursday evening. Downtown San Luis Obispo shuts down the main drag, and for about eight blocks, there are over 120 vendors of fresh fruit, fresh produce fresh fish and meats and basically everything and um, prepared foods as well. And mm. it's lovely. It's oh, so fun. fun. The community comes out every single week and it draws people from Los Angeles, San Francisco, the Central Valley, anyone who's out of town hmm. always goes. It's just amazing. It's very extraordinary. I have to say that there is such a community commitment and especially because of where you live and where you love, the environment itself, to me, really breeds that passion. So what did you find Thursday night? Tell us. Or what are you cooking today? Yeah. Today I'm going to be making, well, stone fruit is in season right now because right. it's summer. And so I'm making a, a peach galette 
Mm. And I just love taking fresh fruit and baking with it in the summer. So I'll yes. be making that this evening. Mm. Okay. Can I, can, can I come over? Yeah, definitely. I wish I could. I wish I could. Let's talk recipes, if we could, because the area that you um, live in and shoot in and highlight in the book is very much known for the local favorite that is tri-tip. So a dish, if you would, on Santa Maria barbecue for just a moment. Definitely. So yeah, in the, the market on Thursday evening, there's quite a few barbecue stalls and those lines always have at least 50 people in them. Huh, the entire three-hour market, just a line around the block for the barbecue. People take it very seriously here. And here on the Central Coast, um, we have a few different barbecue techniques. You know, your typical, like, slathered in barbecue sauce or smoked. Um, but we also have what's called Santa Maria-style barbecue. And that is grilled tri-tip. It's also served with pico de gallo salsa, mm. so fresh tomatoes and jalapenos all diced together with some lime juice and cilantro and onion and some spices, and you actually serve the salsa over the grilled meat, and it's just, it's my absolute favorite. It's so good. It's just yeah. so good. We're taking a tour of the Slow Farmer's Market back to San Luis Obispo right after this. We're back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and we're dishing with Kendra Aronson as she takes us around the San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market to savor the season. I have to tell you, I have ventured to San Luis Obispo just for Santa Maria barbecue. And really? There's something just very unique about the tri-tip and the wood and the love that is poured into this one particular cut that is such a local favorite. And it's amazing to me that you've become so known for it. Um, I was surprised to find in the book where you mentioned, because I didn't realize, Olala berries are primarily grown in the Central Coast. And I saw the white peach and Olala berry crumble. And I love Olala berries. Hard to find, mind you, um, but so delicious. Yeah, we're really lucky here, I believe. They grow on the Central Coast in San Luis Obispo. Maybe they grow in Santa Barbara as well. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. And then I think certain parts of the Pacific Northwest. That's where I know them to come from. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it might just be those select regions. And they definitely have a fleeting season as well. So when you can catch a lullaby season, it's. It's a magical moment. (laughs) They're sort of a hybrid berry, right? They have a little Mm -hmm. of everything in them. Yeah, it's a hybrid of two hybrids. So it's a hybrid of a Loganberry and a Youngberry. A Loganberry is a blackberry and raspberry hybrid. And then a Youngberry is a blackberry and dewberry. So it has 50% blackberry in it and then 25% raspberry 
25% dewberry and 100% deliciousness. Oh, totally. <laughs> and so sweet. And so, I mean, that is the quintessential flavor of a berry to me. If you want a berry, you, you eat an Olala berry. Um, yeah. I love the summer inspiration. As you move into other seasons, I can't wait to make garlicky blackened Brussels sprouts with Meyer lemon aioli. That recipe looks beautiful. And it then is so good. there's a wonderful sprouts guide. Uh, pea sprouts and radish sprouts and sunflower sprouts. Do you have a lot of the organic, very um, health-driven movement sort of a product showcase at the farmer's market as well? Yeah, definitely. I would say a lot of people here in San Luis Obispo, they are very health conscious. Mm -hmm. um, most people spend their afternoons or weekends hiking biking, swimming, and we have it all, the beach, the mountains, surfing. So people who are into that active lifestyle are also conscious consumers and healthy consumers. So, yeah, sprouts are, are really big here as well. No doubt. And juicing. And juicing. Really popular. Yeah, big across the country for sure. Yeah. Um, leave us with a farmer's story, if you would. It is very inspiring to me to read about the very dedicated passion. And I love that you highlight the families that make the slow or San Luis Obispo farmers market so successful. Um, and that the cookbook really shares the, the history and the dedication. So uh, like the Domingo family, for instance, give us a story that is, uh, that is very close to your heart. Yeah, definitely. So the book, it does have 60 seasonal recipes up front, and then the back has 40 short stories on all the local people who are bringing all this delicious seasonal bounty to our tables. And it was really important to me to highlight all these people. You know, they're the unsung heroes of the Central Coast and everywhere. Farmers don't get enough credit. And so I wanted to be able to tell their story and um, one, one person that I, or two people I would love to highlight is one, Julia of Julia's Juices, mm. and her husband, Javier of Red Barn Farms. Javier is the farmer. He grows absolutely everything under the sun, and he takes his produce to market. And he, uh, Julia, his wife, she juices everything that he grows. So she wow. brings fresh, natural juices. They're raw, and they have all the produce has been picked that morning, juiced that afternoon, and then sold that late afternoon. Oh. So it is the, the freshest, freshest, freshest juice I've ever had, and it's so good. She has a huge cult following here in Slow County, and I just love that they are so resourceful with what they're growing, what they're bringing to the market. And Javier, he doesn't refrigerate anything. He will pick that morning and then sell it that afternoon. Oh. So it's, it is just right from the ground. It's How exceptional. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, you've done good work for good people. And I congratulate you. The book um, is a beautiful showcase of San Luis Obispo and the Central Coast. It has resources and recipes and seasonal goodness abounds in it. So I hope you will check it out. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you. Thank you so much. As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Wen in your radio. We'll be right back.
Dedicated to great taste and expanding your palate every Sunday, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Jenny Britton Bauer opened Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream in 2002 with the singular goal of creating better ice cream. Her ice cream shops are a community of dairies and growers, beekeepers, and food artisans that help her make ice cream on a local and luscious level. It is some of the most splendid you will ever taste. In fact, Time Magazine, Savoir, and the New York Times, to name a few, have praised Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream as America's best. You will find it in the freezer of your favorite supermarket or at any of her 23 ice cream shops across the U.S. And she has two cookbooks to make you an ice cream aficionado, but she's here and back to dish us up a big bowl of summer. And I always love when you stop by. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Seth Jamie. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. And you? I'm doing great. I wish great that we, summer. yes, it is a great summer. I wish that we um, could figure out a way for you to send ice cream through the phone line. Like that would be really great. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> no, not yet. But you know what? I think we, if anybody could do it, we could do it. Yeah, you could do it. No <laughs> doubt. You figured a lot out, I will tell you, about making very luscious ice cream. So what ingredients have been inspiring you during this heat wave that we're having? Yes, it's been a heat wave all across America. We're That's all true. feeling it, north, south, east, and west. And, um, and, you know, whenever it's a heat wave, I turn to watermelon. I feel like it's, like, full full of water and sweet, and it just feels cool. You know, I like to have a watermelon just pull it right out of the garden, you know, especially if it's sitting under a tree in the shade. And it feels cool. But we make um, we make a buttermilk yogurt watermelon, and it's, like, it. It's it's so delicious, and you can do that too with the recipes in my book. It's just a you know it's watermelon with a little bit of buttermilk and yogurt and a little bit of cream. The buttermilk and yogurt actually help to um, bring out the the sort of tartness in the in the butter or in the uh, straw in the watermelon any fruit really. Huh. I and think, I think you need that because if you just make watermelon ice cream, it's too sweet. It, well, it's too sweet, and also cream can round out sharp flavors, huh. and watermelon's already kind of a kind of a soft flavor and so you don't want to round it I think any further you kind of want a, a bit of sharpness to it yeah to to increase the acid I love that idea mm-hmm. of the buttermilk because it has that uh, that sour tart flavor profile which I happen to love and then when you add yogurt what is your go-to when you're adding yogurt to an ice cream base is it Greek yogurt is it plain yogurt we work with Seven Stars Farm from uh, Pennsylvania, fantastic farms. Um, many of their, their dairy farms are, are bio, biodynamically raised mm. cows. Nice. Um, and we just love their yogurt. So it's actually a very soft yogurt. It's not Greek yogurt, um, but it's plain and low-fat. Uh, we actually found, because, you know, I, I will never choose low-fat over high-fat dairy. Um, just, you know, I'll always go with the higher fat. Yeah, because I like um, that about you. Yeah, but, you know, the thing is, yeah, with yogurt, it actually didn't help us to have higher fat. It actually helps us with lower fat. Um, and the buttermilk, too, the addition of that, which is only about 1% or 2% butter fat, um, the, the acid in there will um, thicken the cream similarly to how it does, you know, with creme fraiche. And so you get this incredible texture as well with both of those ingredients in there. What a great combo. Okay, so buttermilk 
watermelon. And then I would think because you um, have that summer sweet corn affection um, that I do and so many of us do, you've done something brilliant with sweet corn, as you always do every summer. Yeah, well, you know, sweet corn is, uh, we've, I just saw it in, the, you know, I came from art. And so when I started making ice cream in 1996, I came from art and I wanted to be a perfumer, which is an odd two things together, but that is what <laughs> ice cream is in a way. Um, and so in the farmer's market, sweet corn and black raspberries were in the market at the same time. Huh. And so then you've also got yellow and purple. From an artistic perspective, you've got these complementary colors. And, you know, um, so, and, and I find that the farmer's market often works that way. If, it, if the colors go together in whatever way, like the flavors a lot of times do, or maybe that's just my own brain. But anyway, we've done sweet corn and black raspberries since like 1996 when I first, my first year of ice cream making. The last couple of years, we've done a popcorn flavor that's just, off the charts. I am a great fan of your ice cream, as you know, whether it be a scoop or a pint or a sandwich or a sundae, there are endless and brilliant combinations coming from Jenny's splendid ice creams. Okay, next time I see you, Jenny, uh, buttermilk watermelon all the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's so good. Thank you yep. for sharing your passion, as always, for stopping by and, uh, and cheers to a great uh, end of summer full of ice cream. Yes, thank you. And thank all all your listeners. Uh, Have a great rest of the summer. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary conversation and inspiration. Every Sunday, I share the culture of food and living the best life. So I hope you will tune in to continue to feed your soul. You'll find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, and there are podcasts posted there for shows you might have missed. And of course, I hope that you will become a fan and a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you'll find my daily dish. In fact, I'll be dishing about this recipe a little later today, inspired by the great Italian chef Lydia Bastianich and her famous recipe for coffee-shaved ice. You know, I'm trying to... Make summer last forever, you could say, holding on to that last scoop of ice cream or a coffee and cream granita. How does that sound? Perfect for true coffee lovers. This is a great way to cool off at the end of summer and add a refreshing twist. To make a coffee and cream granita, you take four cups of strong brewed coffee And while it's still hot, you add a half a cup of sugar and a pinch of salt because salt brings out the sweet and you stir to dissolve it. And then it's just that easy, coffee, sugar, and salt. You pour the liquid into a glass casserole dish, like a 13 by 9 inch pan, and you place it in the freezer. And about an hour later, you scrape the ice crystals with a fork and stir it all around. Then you return it to the freezer, wait 30 minutes, and scrape again. Another 30 minutes later, two hours total, you have a handmade granita. And I will say that it is decadently delicious, topped with a big dollop of whipped cream. And there's something truly impressive about serving a granita. So try it out before summer comes to a close. But then we move into fall, and that gets even better. (laughs) As the delicious conversation continues in your radio, it's my goal to make your dishes come alive with flavor. So I will meet you here next Sunday. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. 